0: I own the world's worst thesaurus. Not only is it awful, it's awful. <laughs> Shaking her head, come on, that one's not bad. That was awful, thank you, thank you. All right, it's just us today, all right? The scary crowd from nine o'clock is gone, all right. My wife recently had a birthday, September 26th. Um, I asked her what she wanted for her birthday. She said nothing would make her happier than a diamond necklace. So I got her nothing. <laughs> it's a lot cheaper, too, than a diamond necklace. All right. But on that note, I will just say, just uh, welcome you into a little... Uh, uh, into our lives, I did get her a gift for her birthday this year, and so something my wife and I did years ago, and you should do this. Um, we we wrote, we decided, well, let's write down a hundred, uh, a dreams list of a hundred things we want to do in our lifetime. Some of them was like hike certain places, visit different places, preach on different continents, that kind of stuff. One of, the, and so we did these separately. We did our list separately, our, our list of a hundred things separately. And, and then when we were, got done, we, we compared uh, notes. We put them together and said, okay, let's circle every, um, everything that we both had on our list. And so one of the things we had that we both had on our list was there was a list of comedians that we wanted to see. So like Jim Gaffigan, Brian Regan, you know, some of these uh, guys. And so one of them was also uh, Jerry Seinfeld. And so... Um, um, but Jerry Seinfeld doesn't really travel that much. He doesn't, definitely doesn't need the money. You know, I think he just does it for um, you know, just because it makes him I don't know. Yeah, makes him feel good. Yeah, just live in it. So um, so mostly Jerry Seinfeld is like Las Vegas and New York. And those are the only two places he usually goes. But he's been doing a tour right now. And I saw a few weeks ago that he was going to be in Denver. And so I got tickets for us to go see Jerry Seinfeld. We went last night and it was a great show. So. So, but one more thing checked off of our bucket list, if you will. So we gotta we gotta pursue some more of those. Amen. All right. So don't get your wife nothing. All right. <laughs> For the past uh, few weeks, we've been doing a study on the seven churches in the book of Revelation. This is Revelation one. 1- Chapters one, two, and three, and I have enjoyed studying, and I have enjoyed preaching this those messages. How many have enjoyed those messages? Those series isn't that fun? Um, I think I need to do more just straight Bible teaching. You know, sometimes you get into a series and it's like you're all over the place. I kind of like the the guardrails of just doing Scripture. It's good, Um, so I'll do more of that in the future. Um, If you have any ideas, let me know, but um, I'll pray about them. Um, But um, so we've been in that series. Um, However, as I'm sure most of you know, there have been some significant events unfolding um, in the Middle East. And as a church, um, we like to try to keep our pulse on um, end time events and what God is doing in the world. So I felt it would be um, we would be missing an opportunity to not talk about the recent events um, that happened in Israel and what prophetic, um, significance, um, it might have, um, in our, in our lives. So I want to hit pause on the seven churches of revelation for this week. We'll pick it back up next Sunday and we'll talk about the church of Philadelphia. And then after that, the the week after that will be Laodicea. All right, we're going to start in Zechariah chapter two, verses seven and eight says this. Get up, O Zion. Escape, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For this is what the Lord of hosts says. After his glory he has sent me against the nations that have plundered you. For whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. The title of our message today is called Israel, the apple of his eye. I want to talk about what has happened and what must happen in the Middle East and in our world. So what has happened, what needs to happen, why did this happen now, and how you and I as Christians should respond. So let's start, first of all, with what went down last week. We came to church and we were just barely in the know. Uh, Friday, um, Friday, I, I, I Friday, Saturday, October 7th, we woke up to some horrific scenes that night before Friday night. I couldn't sleep that well, and I woke up and, you know, as many of you do, kind of get on YouTube. And and then I started getting on social media and kind of saw what was beginning to unfold. And then I couldn't sleep after that. But the scenes we saw were horrific. And if, by the way, if if you've been living in a cave and you don't know what I'm talking about, then you need to come out of your cave. (laughs) I'm gonna help you do that right now. So it was the worst single day For the Jewish people since the end of the Holocaust. Anti-Semitism has been rearing its ugly head once again. If you have not, you need to familiarize yourself with what happened. It's not easy to look at, but we need to recognize what evil looks like. There was evil that unfolded. Of course, I'm not going to show you pictures and videos and those kind of things. They're very disturbing. There's there's young people here. Um, But you need to see what evil looks like. You need to if, if especially if you're taking a stance of kind of a moral equivalency, if you're like, yeah, I mean, there's a situation, but then Israel and I don't know. And, you know, if you're kind of taking this stance of moral equivalency, do yourself a favor and expose yourself to the horrors that unfolded this last week. Hamas did not just hit military targets or just attack men. They murdered everyone on site. This attack was horrific, murdered everyone on site. They burned people alive. I'm told that there are over 40 babies that were beheaded. Who kills a baby? When I was a young man, I was 20 years old. When I was 20 years old, uh, 9-11 happened. I remember that day very clearly. And, you know, I'm 20 years old, full of testosterone, you know, and I'm, I remember thinking if I could have five minutes alone in a room with Osama bin Laden, oh boy, wouldn't that be wonderful? But even at that point in my life where I just wanted, you know, revenge, I I would never kill Osama bin Laden's baby. The baby's innocent. What would I do? If I would rescue that baby, I would bring that baby out of that situation and put that baby in a nurturing environment. In fact, I I don't know if you know this, there's... um, there's stories of Osama bin Laden had a lot of sons and daughters. One of them um, is has, um, a very peaceful person and was, is doing art and different things and totally renounces the ways of his father. Okay, so who kills babies? The Isra- Israel does not do this. Israel is not. There is sometimes collateral damage. Unfortunately, that is war, but they do not intentionally target civilians, target babies. Some of the elderly who had survived the horrors of the Holocaust... Some of them were killed, some of them were abducted. Can you imagine living through World War II, surviving the, the horrors of the Holocaust in Nazi Germany, escape, make Aliyah to the, home, to, the, to the Jewish homeland, and live in this homeland thinking we've made it, and then, and then the terrorists come and kill you at a later date. Can you imagine? I don't need to tell you what they did to the women, obviously. Um, they weren't, they didn't just, by the way, they were commanded to make the women dirty, by the way. that They didn't just decide to do that. That was what they were told to do by their leaders. I know this is difficult, but you and I need to be able to look in the face of evil and see what evil is. I'll share one more horrific story and then, then we can move on. Um, there was cases where they would take the phone of the victim that they were killing Take pictures and video of killing them and then upload those pictures and video to that person's social media so that 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 person's family could see what happened to them and find out in the most horrific way possible. That is cruel. That is evil. That is demonic. No army in the world should ever treat people this way. That is what evil is. Don't turn away from it. The only positive part we could say about this attack is that now the world can see that those who are complicit with Hamas and Hezbollah are not just acting out because they are disgruntled over some land disputes, they are walking in pure demonic evil. You've heard this, I don't know if you've heard this quote before, but if the Palestinian people laid down their weapons, there would be peace in the Middle East, in Israel today. If Israel laid down their weapons, Israel would cease to exist. And that is the difference. Israel, we can talk about two-state solution. We can talk about land disputes all day long. But if we are unable to recognize each other's right to life, what do we have to talk about? Where can we go from there? I see people, you know, posting things like, pray for innocent Israelis, pray for innocent Palestinians. I have nothing against that. I know there are many wonderful Arab people, some some of which are Christians. I know there are many Arab people who are Muslim and also believe in peace. I have nothing nothing wrong with praying for peace on both sides for people who are peace-loving. Many Palestinians don't want this violence. I've seen videos of Palestinians who left the Gaza Strip and said Hamas is the worst thing that's happened to us ever, and I think that's actually true. But I want to make a statement that I... I think it's true. I think it holds water. Again, we can disagree on where boundary lines should be and and this this and that. But if we don't acknowledge one another's right to exist, if your solution is kill the Jews, you're not innocent. That's you're not an innocent person if that's your answer to the problem. Just kill them. Some Palestinians do believe in a two-state solution, but clearly there are many who are complicit with Hamas, Hezbollah, ISIS. There are clearly many who don't believe in a two state solution. They only believe in the final solution. And that is a huge problem. That is a huge issue that Israel has to face and they are facing right now. What needs to happen? That's what happened. If you're not aware, what needs to happen? Israel not only has a right to defend herself, Israel has a moral obligation to eradicate that threat against them. It is the only right thing for them to do. It's not just their right to do. It is their moral obligation to do. The Iron Dome, if you don't know, the Iron Dome, it's an impressive technology technology um, that when, when rockets are shot into Israel, they intercept them and they shoot them down before they, before they hit the iron dome is, uh, I think it's over a 90% uh, success rate in knocking rockets down. And then they try to overwhelm them. That's been an amazing technology, but in some sense that technology has kind of just kicked this issue down the road because now, um, uh, Hezbollah and, and, um, and uh, Hamas, they have just evolved. And now that now Israel has to fa- face this issue head on. We know that, prophetically speaking, what the Bible says, there's at least one, depending on your interpretation of certain scriptures, there's at least one, if not two or three major conflicts that Israel has yet to face. One such battle is detailed in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. I want to focus a little bit on there today because I want to show you that the Bible actually, um, we're on the trajectory that the Bible is showing that we're on. I want to show you this is all in the Bible. The Bible is so accurate. There's a battle that is, that the Bible talks about that will happen. This is, this is spoke about in Ezekiel chapter 38, but we know that prior to this battle happening, Israel will enjoy a time of peace and rest. There will be an unprecedented season of peace and security for the Jewish people prior to the, to the war in Ezekiel 38. That's what needs to happen before Ezekiel 38 happens. Now, why did this happen now? I want to take you on a little bit of a journey. Why is this happening now? This attack of course had been planned for a long time, but there was clearly a catalyst that thrust it forward. Here's the catalyst. If you're not aware of this, I want to I describe this to you today. Israel has been um, making peace agreements with the Arab nations around it lately. 2020 was was a, a time where that happened big time. These peace agreements, in my opinion, have been nothing short of a miracle. If you had told me in 2018 that the UAE, Bahrain, Sudan, and Morocco would make peace treaties with Israel, I would have thought you are crazy. But this is exactly what happened with the Abraham Accords. In 2020, President uh, Trump helped broker the normalization of some Arab countries that have been at odds with Israel since their since Israel's conception, since 1948. The Abraham Accords have changed the landscape of the Middle East. By the way, I think I think President Trump should have won the Nobel Peace Prize for brokering those deals. We've had presidents win the Nobel Peace Prize for much less. Like him or not, like his personality or not, he should have gotten the Nobel Peace Prize for helping broker those deals, period. In Ezekiel 38, if you read it, there's a list of hostile nations that will attack and invade the nation of Israel. Those nations are pretty much perfectly aligned right now. They are in cahoots, if you will. They've signed a treaties. They are working together, one of which is Iran, which in the Bible is talked about as Persia. Another one is Russia. Russia and Iran are working together. Russia is using Iranian weapons um, in what country they invade Ukraine. Thank you. I was going to say Uganda in the Ukraine. They are using weapons. They are very much in good. They're trading. And then China is also in this mix. Those nations are basically perfectly aligned. Currently in Ezekiel 38, there's also a list of friendly nations that are signing peace uh, agreements with Israel. And those are they're not perfectly aligned. They are aligning. They're almost in perfect alignment. The friendly uh, nations toward Israel in Ezekiel 38, they um, protest this northern Russian Iran invasion of their land. I want to tell you who these friendly nations are and why they will protest. Ezekiel 38, 13, we're going to look at this verse here. It says this, Sheba and Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take a plunder? Have you gathered your army to take a spoil and to carry away silver, gold, and take away livestock goods to take a great plunder? Okay, so these, these protesting nations are saying to the Russian invasion and, and the, this coalition that's invading, they're saying, why are you here? Are you here to take a plunder? Are you here to steal? They're, they're obviously protesting, and they're against what's happening. Let me, sh- let me show you these nations. Ezekiel 38, uh, 13. Sheba speaks of the Persian Gulf Arab nations. Again, signing peace treaties with Persian Gulf Arab nations had never happened uh, before. Dedan speaks of Saudi Arabia, and this is the big dog. This is the big one. This is the big one that we've been waiting for. The merchants of Tarshish probably speaks of Western European nations, uh, and particularly England would be uh, the merchants of Tarshish and the young lions speak of the English colonies. So for a thousand years, the lion has been a symbol of, of England, of the United Kingdom. And so the young lions are England's England's English speaking colonies. So the United States, Canada, Australia, et cetera. So those are the young lions. <clears throat> the missing piece of this whole equation has been Didan, Saudi Arabia. Israel and Saudi Arabia have been kind of uh, uh, behind the scenes, been working on peace agreements and normalizing. They're, they're actually already, to an extent, normalized relationships. For some time, um, if an Israeli um, uh, jetliner was going to fly um, you know, to, to uh, Asia, And the direct path for them was to fly over Saudi Arabia. For years, they couldn't even fly over the country. That has changed today. Now they can fly over the country. So Saudi Arabia is letting them, and they're beginning to trade. So to an extent, they're already normalizing relationships. But I want to talk to you about the significance of this peace deal that is currently in the works right now and why this attack that we just saw in Israel has a lot to do with this peace agreement that's been worked on. I want to play a video Of Benjamin Netanyahu he's at the United Nations talking about the potential peace agreement with Saudi Arabia
1: so go ahead and roll that video to understand the magnitude of the transformation that we seek to advance let me show you a map of the Middle East in 1948 the year Israel was established here's Israel in 1948 it's a tiny country isolated surrounded by a hostile Arab world. In our first seven years, we made peace with Egypt and Jordan. And then in 2020, we made the Abraham Accords peace with another four Arab states. Now look at what happens when we make peace between Saudi Arabia and Israel. The whole Middle East changes. We tear down the walls of enmity. We bring the possibility of prosperity and peace to this entire region, but we do something else. You know, uh, a few years ago I stood here with a red marker to show the, the curse, a great curse, the curse of a nuclear Iran. But today, today I bring this marker to show a great blessing, the blessing of a new Middle East between Israel. Saudi Arabia and our other neighbors. We will not only bring down barriers between Israel and our neighbors, we'll build a new corridor of peace and prosperity that connects Asia through the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Israel to Europe. This is an extraordinary change, a monumental change, another pivot of history. say about that is, I don't know
0: if you caught that, but what Benjamin Netanyahu just did was he drew a line through the Ezekiel 3813 coalition that we just read about, connecting Asia all the way to Europe. Here's the problem with this peace treaties that he's talking about. Iran is terrified at this prospect. There is a rift between uh, Shun, uh, Sunni and, and Shia Muslims. There's a rift between Arab and Persian Muslims. And what this peace agreement does, it aligns Arab Muslims with Israel and with some of the Western powers. And that puts Iran in a very awkward position because Iran, I should say the leadership of Iran, I don't think all the Iranian people, the leadership of Iran hates Israel and and has not just threatened to destroy Israel, has promised to destroy Israel. Imagine that. A country that hasn't just threatened to destroy you, has promised to destroy you. Um, I took this screenshot a couple days ago, so I just want to show you the connection between this peace agreement happening and th- these attacks that just happened. I was looking at on my, uh, YouTube, uh, my YouTube page on uh, TB in Israel, and it's been a couple days since I took the screenshot, but it says eight days ago, uh, Saudi-Israel peace deal. So this is the big news. They're talking about this eight days ago. The very next video they uploaded is War or um, in Israel, Hamas and Israel are in in war together. They've attacked one another. Well, I should say Hamas attacked Israel and Israel's responded. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so, because Iran is calling the shots and they're the ones who approved to, to move forward with this attack. Again, the attack had been planned for months, if not years, but they, they chose now to pull the trigger. I think what they're trying to do I think that Iran is trying to derail the peace agreement with Saudi Arabia. I believe that peace agreement will still happen. Israel will normalize relationships, uh, relations with Saudi Arabia. And by the way, this corridor of peace that he's talking about, it includes oil and natural gas pipelines it includes uh, includes uh, roadways, railways, fiber optics, the sharing of technology, medicine, intelligence, food, water technology. That's what they're working on, uh, normalizing these relationships. It will benefit all those nations in the Abraham Accords. It would also effectively break Russia's energy monopoly to Europe, because if you have a pipeline coming from the Mideast through Israel, and Israel has a lot of natural gas themselves and it goes into Europe, that'll effectively break Russia's um, energy monopoly. So, of course, that is why uh, Iran and Russia and others want to sabotage this deal because an, um, an invasion of Israel inevitably would negatively affect all the members of the peace coalition and the Abraham of cords. And we know that from the, what the Bible says in Ezekiel 38, that the motives for the nations invading Israel are financial motives to take a plunder, to take, you know, gold, silver and different things. Why does Iran hate Israel so bad? Well, you don't have to like Israel, but Iran's hatred of Israel is an irrational demonic hatred. I will say this. It's a spirit. You might not like the nation, that's fine, but there is an irrational demonic spirit. I wanna just um, sensitize you, church, so many times, especially in the Western world, we get this idea that everything's natural. We have to remember that there are, spirit, we, we, there are spiritual battles, right? This is why we pray, this is why we fast, this is why we intercede, this is why we worship, this is why we read the, read the word, because there is a spiritual realm. And listen, spiritual battles have natural implications. Winning the war in spiritual realms changes things in the natural realm. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel was, uh, he had a stunning vision that he he was in total distress because of what he saw. Daniel prays to the Lord and he fasts for 21 days. And then an angel mess, an angel messenger comes to Daniel. Look what it says here in Daniel chapter 10 verses 12. The angel said this, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Watch this, verse 13. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. Okay, so this is talking about a demonic principality. The prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. Then Michael, so Michael's an archangel. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So another angel is helping another angel, right? An angel is helping another angel. Because of this, uh, because I was detained there with the king of Persia, now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. Okay? Persia is modern-day Iran. We see here that there was a demonic principality over, that had dominion over Persia. Now Persia, Iran now, they have been a, a, a world power two times in history, once with King Cyrus. And unfortunately, Iran and their terrorist leadership is reemerging as a world power because of their un- being united to Russia and China. Unfortunately, they're on the rise again. In 1979, before 1979, the United States was on actually pretty good uh, terms with Iran but after the Ayatollahs took over, the Shia Muslims, they drove us out and we were, in fact, there's, I don't know if you know this, but Iran has like F14 Tomcats because the United States, that like we, we had trade deals with them, we were on good relations, relations with them. But this is what I believe. I believe that same demonic principality that Daniel spoke of is re-emerging, uh, is a re in its influence as a principality and is given influence because of the financial prosperity of Iran right now. Listen, we need to do everything in our power to keep Iran from prospering. Unfortunately, that does hurt the people. And I understand that. But that is a terrorist nation that su- supports terrorism all over the world. This force financially, politically, and, and is spiritually driving Hamas and Hezbollah. So there's a lot of issues there. And that is what's driving this terrorism with, with Hamas is Iran, Iran's backing. Now here's a side note about Iran. Iran is an amazing country. I have friends who have gone there, and there's some beautiful people there. The fastest growing church in the world, the fastest underground church in the world, is in Iran right now. So you and I, listen, we have brothers and sisters in in the Lord in Iran, and we need to be praying for them, and we need to be praying that that church continues to um, explode and prosper because God is doing something amazing there. Again, I bring all this up, Because I want you to be aware that we don't just contend in the physical world. We have to contend in the spiritual world, and the spiritual world has natural repercussions. There is demonic principalities over different cities and different things, and we can shake the heavens with our prayers. We can shake the heavens with our worship. God steps in on our behalf when we do that. Now, so that's the spirit, I think, that's behind it. Now, what about Hamas? Again, these two spirits, this... um, Uh, Persian principality and the spirit that's over Hamas. They're like hooking up. They're hooking up right now. They're connecting. They're doing this. Sure, they're hooking up. There you go. Aren't you glad you came to church? All right. What about Hamas? Let me talk about this. Um, This is interesting, but did you know that the word Hamas is in your Bible? And I think this also has prophetic significance. Now, in Arabic... Hamas is now your your Old Testament Bible is Hebrew, but in Arabic, Hamas is an acronym for the Islamic Freedom Movement, and for them, it's kind of a analogous to bravery and that kind of stuff. But Hebrew and Arabic, they're um, cognate languages. In other words, they're related. They're very closely related. Their origins are very closely related. I don't think it's a coincidence that we actually have the word Hamas in our Old Testament, in our Bible. I want to show you what Hamas means in your Bible. The first time we see it occurs 39 times in the Old Testament, but the first time we see it is Genesis 6, 11. It says this. Now the earth, so this is talking about um, before the, the, the flood of Noah. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of Hamas, was full of violence. God saw, saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with Violence, that's the word Hamas. Because of them, I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Interesting that the word Hamas, it's used 39 times in the Old Testament. Most of the time, it's translated as violence or cruelty. And isn't that the exact thing we see with this evil organization? This is exactly who Hamas is and what Hamas does. Jesus said, Matthew 24:37. As in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. The world was filled with violence in the days of Noah. And how many know that violence is being propagated right now in our world? There is a demonic, anti-Semitic spirit that wants to destroy what God loves. How do we respond? I'm going to give you three things this morning as Christians. How do we respond? Number one, we need to understand that God's prophetic purposes for end times are centered around Israel and Jerusalem and the Jewish people, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel and Jerusalem are at the center of end times. And Jerusalem is at the bullseye of that target. How many know that without Israel, there's no way that much of your Bible uh, end time events can even happen without the regathering of Israel. So that's number one. Just know that God's prophetic purses are centered around that, that land. Number two, how can we respond? I want to encourage you take a positive stand for the nation of Israel. Listen, the nation of Israel's government is not perfect. I'm not saying everything they do is great and everything they do is perfect. And I'm also saying to be pro Israel is not to be anti Palestine anti-Palestinian or anti-Arab. I'm not saying that. We can be pro-Israeli and pro-Arab and pro-Palestinian. But I want to encourage you, take a positive stand for Israel. Here's the deal. I want to be on the right side of God. If God regathered them, I want to be on his side and not scatter them. Amen? In fact, if God, how many know that in 70 AD, God did Drive them out into the nations. He did scatter them. If God scattered them, then how many know He's the only one who can regather them? The regathering of Israel as a nation is a miracle. The, 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 the Hebrew language was a dead language for 2,000 years. And then they come, they come back to their land. Only a few rabbis spoke Hebrew, and now it's in their national language. That's prophesied in the Bible, by the way, the reemerging of that language. The Bible prophesies the regathering of the nation of Israel that happened in 1948. I have no problem like having discussions about a two state solution or where the boundaries should lie, but here's the deal, you and I, we need to do what we can our part to make sure that this nation is not wiped off the face of the earth. It is a staple of freedom and democracy in the Middle East. It is the only Jewish state in the world. There are many Arab states It's the only Jewish state in the world. We can partner if this is what God is doing, how many do of that we can partner with God? I want to be on the right side of what God is doing. And so maybe you're here this morning and I'm talking to some young people, I'm talking to some people who might be in politics someday or in leadership positions. Remember, when, if in 20 years you're in a leadership position, you're preaching a message like this or you're a politician or whatever, you've been given influence and you have a choice to make whether to stand with Israel, the Jewish people and the nation of Israel or not. Listen to the words I'm saying right now, and and obey. <laughs> Be a positive influence and support. Take a positive stand for Israel. Stand with this nation. Without Christians standing for the nation, uh, the nation of Israel, Israel wouldn't exist. I mean, obviously God made it happen so clearly, but God used Christians to bring about the regathering of the Jewish people. I wanna play another video. This one is also Benjamin Netanyahu talking about how Christian Zionism gave birth to um, Jewish Zionism. So go ahead and roll that video.
1: I don't believe that the Jewish state. And modern Zionism would have been possible without Christian Zionism. I think that uh, the many Christian supporters of the rebirth of the Jewish state and the ingathering of the Jewish people in the 19th century made possible the rise of Jewish Zionism, modern Jewish Zionism. We always had the deeply ingrained desire to come back to our land and rebuild it. This is a, a prayer of the millennia of the Jewish people. But it was made possible in the 19th century by the resurgence of uh, Christian Zionism and uh, uh, European support for Zionism, most especially in Great Britain. Uh, The PEF, the Palestine Exploration Fund, which was a scientific uh, fund created by Queen Victoria. And the many Christian friends that we had including Dutch people in the nineteenth century, Americans, Englishmen, Frenchmen, who visited the Holy Land by the by the hundreds, including famous writers, who spoke about the barrenness of the land and the hope that the Jews would come back to reclaim this land as part of the parable of humanity. The hope that there's the hope that there is hope. And this created the practical foundation for the political foundation, for the emergence of Zionism.
0: Without God moving on the heart of many Christians, Israel would not exist. God moved their heart and facilitated this. I want to say this at church. History is watching you right now, and history is watching me. And I want to do my part to stand on the right side of history. I wanna say this, your time is now. You and I have been given the privilege to stand at this place in time, this place in history, and partner with the heart of God. Number three, how do we respond? Keep your eyes on Jesus. We all need to keep our eyes on Jesus. God is working in the nation of Israel with the Jewish people, and he's working in the world. I wanna show you what Jesus prophesied over Jerusalem before its destruction in 70 AD. Because of the hardness of their hearts, they, they, they lost their, their, um, their temple and their land eventually. It says this, Matthew 23, 37 and 39, Jesus said this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chick uh, under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is saying to them, I'm not coming back to Jerusalem until you acknowledge me, Jesus, as the Messiah. Church, I want to tell you, there will be a supernatural outpouring here at the end of the age that will facilitate that change of heart where the the blinders will come off the Jewish people. For the most part, Jewish people don't trust in Messiah. There are many who do, and it is increasing, but those blinders are going to come off in a supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I want to read two scriptures to show you how this is going to happen. Zechariah 1210 says this, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. The Lord is going to pour out on Israel grace to, and, and to, to see Jesus as their one true Messiah. I'll give you one more scripture, Ezekiel 38, 28 and 29. This is after the battle of Ezekiel. So depending on, depending on when the battle of Ezekiel 38 happens, this will happen right afterward. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. For though I sent them into exile among the nations, I will gather them to their own land, not leaving any behind. I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the people of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. Church, the physical restoration of Israel has happened. That happened in 1948. For 2,000 years they were dispelled from their land. That physical restoration began taking place in the early 1900s and Christians began helping facilitate that. And it happened in 1948. That is the physical restoration of Israel. But how many know there is a future spiritual restoration that is going to happen with the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. Our Bible is very clear about this. And so we, what do we want to do? We want to stand and intercede and pray that Jesus would be glorified. I, I, was, I was looking at some videos this last few weeks of when we went to Israel, and I love going to the Western Wall. Westerners call it the, the Wailing Wall, but it's the Western Wall of, of Temple Mount. I love going there, not because I feel honestly closer to God there. He's in my heart, and he's everywhere I am. But I love going there as a place to stand for and pray for the Jews, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, because I know God has purposes for them yet unfinished. I wanna to live to see them. I wanna to live to see. You know, if you read the book of uh, Romans towards the end, um, which chapter is the olive tree where it talks about being grafted in, to, what is it? 9, 10, and 11, where it talks about being, gra- that we are grafted in to, to Israel. Like I want, it says towards the end of that that when they, when they come to faith, it will be life from the dead for the whole world. In other words, the greatest revival that we'll ever see is when the Jewish people come to Jesus. That's going to be life for their whole world. And you can look at the history of Israel in the last 75 years. 1948, when they became a nation, there was major revivals that were happening in America. The tent revivals. Um, Oral Roberts and those, those different, those, those tent revivals happened after that. 1967, uh, during the Six-Day War, the Charismatic Renewal happened m- about a month after that. There was major spiritual outpouring of the Holy Spirit that coincided with major victories that were happening in physical Israel, and spiritual Israel was coming alive as well. 1973, Christian television um, was invented. And um, that's the same time that is Yom Kippur War. I'm telling you, church, when Israel, physical Israel, wins major battles, there is spiritual Israel experiences a revival. And these two are getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And pretty soon, we will find out that they're going to be one. That the Jewish people, nation of Israel, physical Israel, will be married to spiritual Israel and will be one new man together. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand on your feet this morning? I want to pray for you. (laughs) <laughs> Jesus we love you I pray God for every heart here Lord we pray God for peace in the Middle East God we pray for the Palestinian people we pray for the Arabs we pray for the Persians Lord we pray for the Jews God you love them all you died for them all you paid a heavy price to reconcile all mankind yourself Lord and I just pray God that we would be drawn to you, Lord God, and the people would be drawn to Jesus. They would see King Jesus as our Messiah, as Yeshua as our Messiah today, Lord God. We bless Israel. We bless the people of Israel. God, we love you in Jesus' name.